From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 26 of Free and Inspired Radio. As always, a huge welcome to anyone new to the show and a big thank you to those who are listening in again. This week's show, we are visiting a stalwart of natural medicine treatment that is magnesium. So look, when it comes to magnesium and its role in around 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, essential is definitely an understatement. In this episode, we're going to be breaking down some of the key reasons magnesium is one of the first interventions for me when patients initially visit. And we'll also be looking at some of the different forms, which one is best to take if you're just getting started, and some of the primary functions of magnesium in the body. As always, a bit of a focus on the brain and the digestion, but some interesting stuff around vitamin D and osteoporosis as well coming up. When it comes to currency, magnesium is one of the most widely used in the body. I wonder if you've heard episode 7 of Free and Inspired Radio around the role vitamins and minerals can play as a source of currency for your body to pay its bills. If you're new to this concept, one of the easy ways to understand it is via thinking of the vitamins and minerals and macronutrients in some ways as denominations of currency that pay transactions in your body. These transactions can be as basic as helping a molecule change from one form to another to turn glucose into energy, for example, or as a complex as the multiple stages it takes to get the protein that you eat to turn into serotonin for your mood. So issues with not getting enough magnesium in the diet seem to be ubiquitous uh, across different regions. And if you're a regular listener to this show, yes, I managed to get the term ubiquitous in again big points to me. So for example, Hong Kong in Hong Kong, more than 70% of the male population were found to consume below the World Health Organization's recommended nutrient intake or RNI for magnesium. So that's 70% of the male population were found to consume below the recommended amount for magnesium in Hong Kong. More than 60% of the female population in Hong Kong ate below the recommended nutrient intake for magnesium in the same study as well. And that was the first Hong Kong diet study that was done not too long ago. Now, in the US, estimates have 50% of the population as magnesium deficient as well. So it's no, you know, this is not just regionally oriented here. 
this deficiency is mainly down to the structure of the Western diet and standard American diets, which unfortunately can be very processed. One study in Australia demonstrated a clear relationship between magnesium deficiency amongst other micronutrients and obesity levels. And as people's BMIs increased, so did their magnesium deficiency. Factor this into recent statistics showing that up to one third of the Australian population is obese. We can draw inferences then around the rate of magnesium deficiency based on this alone in Australia. But it's not just diet that can reduce magnesium in the body. There are several other common factors too. For instance, diets high in sodium, calcium and protein, caffeine and alcohol consumption and certain medications such as antibiotics, diuretics and protein pump inhibitors, which are, I believe, still the most prescribed medicine in the world, reduce the amount of magnesium retained in the body. So look, it is a good chance that you're either not getting enough in your diet or if you are, you're maybe engaging in a behavior that might be affecting the amount of magnesium that's stored in your body at the same time. So if many people around the world are deficient, why don't they why don't we see any more pronounced symptoms? And that's really a great question. So bone, muscles, and other soft tissue house about 99% of the total magnesium in the body, making measuring magnesium in the blood misleading. So if you've been to a practitioner and you've had your serum magnesium measured in the blood, I mean it's it's a pretty I don't want to use the term illusionary, but it's a pretty misleading idea of just how much magnesium is in the body, but also how much magnesium is available to use as well. This challenging level of assessment introduces the concept of what we call a subclinical deficiency. A subclinical deficiency occurs when the deficiency or the deficit, excuse me, of a micronutrient, in this case magnesium is what we're talking about, is enough to affect the body on a transactional level but not enough for signs and symptoms to present. This concept is the foundation of what I believe to be modern nutrition and an idea named micronutrient triage. I've explained this way more deeply in episode 7 of Free and Inspired Radio where we basically pay homage to Professor Bruce Ames who came up with micronutrient triage but also who is the mentor and Uh, basically teacher of Rhonda Patrick. So there you go if you're a fan of Rhonda there. For the context of this episode, let's just revisit briefly micronutrient triage. Let's say you have 600 transactions worth one milligram of magnesium and these each need to be paid daily. So you're basically requiring 600 milligrams of magnesium daily to cover your costs. If you get that much from your diet or supplementation daily, no problem. Money in, money out, nothing to worry about, right? But what if you don't get enough magnesium from the diet daily? For our example, let's say you only get 450 milligrams in your diet, which would account to a 25% deficit, or you're only getting 75% of the magnesium you need, which equates to 150 milligram in deficit. So due to this deficit, the body must choose then which 150 transactions not to pay. Now, the body generally chooses transactions based on short-term survival nearly every time. So you might not immediately feel any different over days or weeks because of this. What if, though, the 150 transactions are left unpaid 
and the magnesium deficiency or deficit continues for months or even years or worse still, decades. And it's right here that we see the problems that subclinical deficiencies can cause. For example, evidence already states that a subclinical magnesium deficiency, going back to our subject today, can induce a long-term form of low-grade inflammation or make existing inflammation worse. Furthermore, magnesium supplementation can also reduce inflammatory markers in your blood tests. So C-reactive protein is a good example of that. And you'll often see C-reactive protein pop up around your cholesterol markers as a combination or associative test to measure inflammation in the cardiovascular system. These subclinical deficiencies often go undetected, leading to the point of no return after decades of the body choosing which bills it can pay for and which ones it can't. And look, as you see now, we're going to touch on some of these transactions before we get into the break. So I always make you wait for the break before we get to the good stuff. So let's start with some cool stuff. Magnesium in one of the main functions can actually improve the quality of your sleep. It's fair to say that clinically improving sleep is the benefit I see patients experience the most from supplemental magnesium and no more so than in our elderly populations. Would you believe that 50% of the elderly population over different regions suffer from some form of insomnia, which is crazy? Uh, in a placebo-controlled double-blind trial, so a placebo-controlled double-blind trial, just to repeat that, one of the gold standards in research 46 elderly participants took 500 milligrams of magnesium over eight weeks. And once the trial ended, the magnesium group saw improvements in getting to sleep, sleep time, and staying asleep. And the researchers also saw serum levels of melatonin increased and serum cortisol levels decreased. Both markers are critical, of course, in insomnia. So before you rush out to buy your parents or grandparents some magnesium, the study was small and used a form of magnesium, magnesium oxide, that's classically not very well absorbed. These aspects mean that we'll need some studies with more significant, amount, significant amounts of people to confirm these results are valid. We also need to use a better form of magnesium to see if 500 milligrams are completely necessary as other magnesium forms can be more effectively absorbed. And we will talk a little bit more about that in the episode, uh, sorry, towards the end of this episode. But look, to completely contradict myself, if you were to buy a magnesium supplement for your parents and grandparents, even a small dose compared to the one we, you know, the dose we talked about in that previous study, it could be valuable. Why? Magnesium absorption decreases as we age by up to 30%. So even a good quality supplement can fill a, a significant deficit for the elderly population or the people who are of age in our lives. Let's take a break. We're going to look at magnesium's role in the brain and actually look at how it can help with mental health, specifically stress and depression in the next part of the show. We're also going to look at how magnesium plays a huge role in vitamin D, which I believe is incredibly overlooked. There's going to be more on episode 26 of Free and Inspired Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. Woo! 
to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Welcome back to episode 26 of Free and Inspire Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us. In this episode, we're looking at magnesium. And in the first part of the show, we went through what a subclinical deficiency is, why that is important when it comes to magnesium. And we also touched on one of the key things that magnesium can do to help you, which is to help out your sleep. And we focused on why that might actually be helpful for your parents and grandparents too. In this part of the show, we're going to get down to some more roles for magnesium in the brain. We're also going to talk about a very overlooked relationship between magnesium and vitamin D, kind of further compounding why supplementation of magnesium or increasing the level of magnesium in your diet is important, looking at some food sources of magnesium and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Magnesium can unlock your brain. And I... Once again, I feel like I'm understating all of this, but it sounds very dramatic and hopefully it's not that dramatic. But magnesium's role in anxiety and depression seems connected to correcting a dietary deficiency. An interesting review from 2020 revived a concept known as the vicious circle concept linking magnesium status and stress. One of the first notes in this review is a similarity of symptoms between a magnesium deficiency and stress. For example, both states see fatigue, irritability, and mild anxiety. So, hey, if you're a regular listener to this show and you've come here from the website, then fatigue, irritability, and mild anxiety is pretty much everything that we talk about, right? Galland and Selig proposed that the relationship between magnesium and stress was bidirectional as early as the 90s or the early 90s, hence the vicious circle reference. This vicious circle infers that stress can increase magnesium turnover, causing a deficiency. In turn, this deficiency amplifies the body's susceptibility to stress. So let me repeat that. The vicious cycle infers that stress can increase magnesium turnover, causing a deficiency, which in turn, the deficiency then amplifies the body's susceptibility to stress. Therefore, magnesium should help balance this relationship if this connection is proven true. I would say from clinical experience, over time, the evidence becomes clear after around four to eight weeks of supplementation. Obviously, a lot of other things have to go into that as well. One of the world leaders in nutritional psychiatry and someone who I hope to have as a guest on this show at some stage, Professor Felice Jacker, who's the director of the Food and Mood Centre in Deakin University in Australia, and her research group have investigated low magnesium status and depression. And the results of their study confirmed a link between dietary consumption of magnesium and depression. Building on this, a small randomized controlled trial looked into the use of magnesium for mild to moderate depression for 11 months, which is, just goes to show how long sometimes these studies take. The subjects improved their symptoms after just six weeks, which is pretty cool, and some were experiencing benefits just after two weeks. 
And I think vaguely from that study, I remember that over 60% of the participants in the end in that study said that they would continue to use magnesium post the end of the study because of the role that the magnesium was playing for them over a longer term. Magnesium's other role in depression comes as a form of currency, which is something we touched on in the first part of the show. And it's a form of currency to pay for creating serotonin via its transformation from the protein you eat or the amino acid tryptophan. Now, this role is, of course, a prime example of the problems that can appear when the body may not have enough magnesium to spend on all of the transactions daily. Now, as an extension to that, tryptophan, which creates serotonin using magnesium as a form of currency, is also one of the primary things to help you create melatonin because melatonin is created from serotonin. So magnesium inadvertently also helps you create melatonin for your sleep as well. So there is another essential vitamin that relies heavily on magnesium, and that is vitamin D. And I've mentioned in the introduction to this part of the show that this is incredibly overlooked, and I still feel as if it's not talked about enough. So hey, here you are on the fringes of Uh, what I believe to be the more innovative parts of nutrition. So magnesium is essential for the activation and function of vitamin D. Let me repeat that again. Magnesium is essential for the activation and function of vitamin D. Interestingly, deficiencies in both nutrients can play a role in depression, but also cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome, which if you're new to that term, is the condition that combines high cholesterol, triglycerides, fasting glucose, BMI, and blood pressure. Most importantly, magnesium's role in correcting a vitamin D deficiency is often left unattended. Not only is this the case, but large doses of vitamin D given by both modern medical and natural medicine practitioners can deplete magnesium as well. And this connection makes supplementation with magnesium critical for all people to correct a vitamin D deficiency in the first place, which can be especially significant in treating osteoporosis. Magnesium can therefore be a vital element for the correction of osteoporosis. Building on this relationship between vitamin D and magnesium is how corrected vitamin D status then in turn increases and stabilizes calcium absorption, which is of course a critical factor in the maintenance of bone health. One particular study has shown that sufficient vitamin D levels can increase the absorption of calcium and magnesium through the small intestine by up to 300%. Deserves repeating again, Sufficient vitamin D levels can increase the absorption of calcium and magnesium through the small intestine by up to 300%. And why is osteoporosis important? Because falls or falling over is one of, still one of the leading causes of death across the world. So correcting this stuff is very, very big as far as general health is concerned. This link between vitamin D and magnesium shows the potential timeline for treating osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is the condition preceding uh, osteoporosis. Making vitamin D the priority if the blood tests confirm a deficiency can open the door for magnesium and calcium to follow and complete the job. So what do you think? Are you thinking maybe you'd like to see if you can get enough magnesium in your diet? 
Well, food is always the best place to start, right? So some good sources of magnesium in the diet are whole and unrefined grains, seeds, cacao or cocoa, nuts, almonds, and green leafy vegetables. And the good news is that all of those foods come with a list of other vital micronutrients alongside their magnesium content, which is a great bonus. Another easy way to think about increasing your magnesium intake is the foods that contain dietary fiber. So we touched on some of these, you know, whole and unrefined grains and seeds also have higher magnesium levels. So foods that have good amounts of dietary fiber have higher magnesium levels. But remember, the more a grain is processed, for example, the less magnesium it may offer. So try and choose your grains and seeds as unprocessed as possible to ensure you are getting enough of that good old magnesium. But look, also, what if you want to make sure and just take a supplement anyway? Are they all the same? So there's conjecture on this. I'm just going to try and put this together as best I can. Unfortunately, magnesium supplements, in my opinion, are not all the same. Often cheaper magnesium supplements use magnesium oxide, which, look, isn't all bad. It's a very effective smooth muscle relaxant, which can significantly relieve constipation. And would you believe an estimated 10 million patients have their constipation treated using magnesium oxide annually in Japan? So it's very heavily used in Japan and a lot of other countries, may I add, as well. Of course, this action on the bowel is excellent if you'd like some assistance with challenging bowel motions, but not so much if you're looking to unlock some of the other functions we've mentioned in this article, especially for brain health. And look, you're probably thinking, well, what about magnesium 3 and 8 and some of these other more, I guess, innovative or modern forms of magnesium? Don't despair. I'm definitely going to do a part two on this. There's so much more here, but small studies comparing absorption demonstrate that the citrate, aspartate, lactate, and chloride forms in contrast to oxide and sulfate had more effective absorption levels. So I'll just repeat that. Citrate, magnesium citrate, aspartate, lactate, and chloride forms in contrast to oxide and sulfate forms had more effective absorption levels. And I'd also like to look towards magnesium malate and magnesium glycinate and more recently, magnesium taurinate, I believe it is, as preferential forms of over-magnesium oxide. Although, if you do do a little search through PubMed, you will see some studies that suggest that magnesium oxide isn't all that bad. I just got to be honest, I, I can't give people high doses of magnesium oxide if they've got relatively healthy bowel patterns. It, it, it'll just cause diarrhea. So if we're wanting to get up to those higher levels, especially for people who train a lot or you know want to use their brain to a, a more optimum level, the magnesium oxide just becomes a little impractical in that sense. So what do you think? You know, magnesium is deficient for some, but I think essential for all. I feel that I say this after at the end of most of these episodes, you're probably getting sick of me saying it, but there is, as I mentioned, a part two for our rundown on how magnesium can help. I haven't even touched on its role in metabolism or look deeper into exercise performance and energy. So look, definitely stay tuned for that one. I'm uh, even just putting this together. I was like, oh my God, I'm this could be an hour long. And I appreciate the comments that you do enjoy the podcast, but I don't think you want to hear me talk about magnesium for an hour. But look, for now, if you feel that your diet might not have enough of something and you want to start 
improving some of the blind spots in your diet. We've talked about fiber in other episodes, but magnesium is a great place to start when evaluating if there are any gaps you can fill with some more nutritious foods. So don't be afraid to try a supplement if the diet is out of reach at this point, and more often than not, you will see the benefits of it. There you go, magnesium, 24 minutes straight of quick fire magnesium function there. I hope you found this helpful. As always, before we finish this episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcasts, episodes, and more, jump over to the website, philipwatkins.health. We are edging closer to the big launch, but you can go and get a sneak preview because you've been nice enough to listen to this episode this far. Join our community via the newsletter sign-up page on any of the pages there with the articles. Transcripts are being put together. References are all there. I use a lot of a lot of reviews, a lot of journals for these uh, podcasts. So please, if you want to go and read more about some of the things we talked about, everything will be listed there. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. So if you are listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded. As always, your comments are very, very welcome. Emails as well. I'd like to send shouts once again to all the new listeners of this show. Uh, The show is all about helping you find the freedom to feel inspired again. And I hope you this gets you one step closer whoa here's one for you so i've seen my first patient today was in ecuador my last patient today was in manila i've had way too much coffee so if you like the ultra caffeinated philip watkins and free and Radio, send us a comment I'm planning not to be as caffeinated for our next episode, but maybe one day I will actually do an episode on caffeine because it very much deserves it. But we'll be definitely back with more free and inspired radio next week if I can finish talking. And until that time, don't forget to take care of yourself and everyone around you. Thanks very much. You made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.